0: It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge.
1: A regenerative suspension.
0: There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Palm Innovation in the financing space. The high speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that.
1: You've got something that's transformational
0: solar window in
2: a can beyond zero global warming science solutions and action
0: taking it to a do it
1: yourself level hello and welcome to the beyond zero radio show we broadcast from the studios of 3CR in melbourne and are syndicated on the community radio network you may download our podcasts from the internet at either 3CR Or bz.e.org.au, or bz.e.org.au, or using any common podcasting app. My name is Nils, and our co host today is Michael. How are you, Michael? And would you like to introduce today's guest?
2: Excellent, thanks, Nils. And yes, I'd love to. Our guest today is Hayden Smith from the University of New South Wales, SunSwift. SunSwift are a team of university students with the aim to make sustainable transport solutions for a cleaner future a reality. Sunswift demonstrate their innovation technological nuance by building and racing solar cars. Sunswift hold the Guinness world record for the fastest solar powered race car. Moreover, Sunswift are progressing towards Australia's first road legal solar sports car. In order to update us about this thrilling project, Hayden joins us by phone today. How are you, Hayden? I'm good. How are you, Michael? Excellent, thanks. We do like to begin these interviews just by finding a little bit about your journey on sustainability. So are you able to give us a little bit of background on your autobiography and how you ended up with Sunswift?
0: Yeah, of course. So my background uh, with sustainability would be quite similar to uh, the other team members we have in the team, which is that pretty much I have a background in engineering. And uh, as most engineers learn as they go throughout university, there's a real demand to look for sustainable solutions. In our case, uh, sustainable transport is really what's inspired me.
2: Okay. How many people are involved in the um, developing the road legal solar sports car with Sunswift?
0: Well, we probably have about 30 students in the core team, but um, overall we have about 60 or 70 students across the University of New South Wales who are actually contributing to building this car.
2: Okay. And, and can you fill us in a bit on the sort of academic backgrounds that um, the Sunswift team members bring to the project?
0: Yeah, of course. So, um, being an automotive team, um, we have quite a huge range of backgrounds, actually. Everything from um, mechanical to electrical, software, photovoltaic. We also have some chemical engineers, some aerospace engineers, as well as a number of other students in fields such as industrial design, business and marketing, etc.
1: How close are Sunswift towards creating or completing a road-legal solar sports car?
0: So we're getting much closer. We've been working on the the attempt to get it road legal for about six months now. We think we're about two months out at the moment. Mainly, we've finished all of our designs and we're just in the purchasing and building stage. The main things that can slow us down at the moment are um, any kind of delays due to the compliance, basically just paperwork, lead time, as well as any kind of lead time with purchasing items. Sometimes getting things produced like suspension for a car can take up to six to eight weeks and there can be further delays that are out of our control.
1: Did you set a time frame at the start of the project? Was that sort of the eight months?
0: Yeah, so at the start, we kind of started the road legality campaign, if you will, around July, August last year. We set ourselves a deadline to uh, hopefully have a car on the road by March. At the moment, it's looking like we're going to get the car on the road sometime around May, um, which is definitely still within a reasonable time frame. For us, internally, the latest we're really looking to get the car on the road is July.
1: Well done. What is the range of a current Sunswift, Eve?
0: Yeah, so currently the range of the car is somewhere between 600 and 800 kilometres. It really depends on how fast you drive it. Obviously, if you drive it at, say, 100 kilometres an hour or so, you're going to run out of power after about, you know, five or 600 kilometres. But if you run it as slow as 50 or 60 kilometres an hour, you can easily get ranges close to 800 or so
2: kilometres. That's a phenomenal range in electric vehicle terms, Can you fill us in a bit more about how much of that's battery and how much of it's actually topping up from the solar power and how you get such range? And is that allowing for just one passenger and no luggage or if you actually, can you load the car up some more?
0: Yes, of course. So the car's about, I'd say at the moment, two-thirds battery, one-third solar, largely just because most electric vehicles inevitably do have more battery. Battery, you can get power from quicker, and it also gives you more of a reservoir to store the solar power, obviously. The kind of technical crux of our vehicle isn't about high-energy batteries or high-powered motors. It's actually about efficient designer vehicles. So our vehicle has an extremely low coefficient of drag, somewhere in the realm of 0.1, as well as uh, it's very lightweight with its carbon-fibre body, which means that overall you've got a car that's extremely aerodynamic, and only weighs somewhere in the order of three, four hundred kilograms. And what that allows us to do is make the most of the solar power and the most of the electric power. Uh, because of this, having extra passengers in the car would definitely slow you down notably. You definitely still get hundreds and hundreds of kilometers out of its range. But because we're so light, obviously the addition of new passengers would have a much higher proportion of mass added to the car.
2: Okay. Thanks for that. Still just trying to get my head around this and the difference between your vehicle with the panels on, Hayden. Do you have a figure for how far the car would get if you weren't using the solar panels at all to get an idea of how much contribution the solar panels are making?
0: Yeah, so we haven't we haven't managed to do a huge amount of endurance tests for that. Mainly because obviously we're not road legal and therefore we can't actually drive on the roads <laughs> yeah. and test that out ourselves. But uh With the current, obviously, it depends how much battery you decide to put in the car. So we could keep adding more batteries if we wanted to, but if we just stick with our 60-kilogram battery pack we have at the moment, we could probably get something in the realm of 3, 350 uh, kilometers just on the range of that battery alone. I remind you that 60 kilos is much less than something like a Tesla Model S, which has somewhere in the realm of about 800 kilos of batteries. But Uh with solar, typically solar just adds an extra... I'd say 30 or 40% onto the range of the car hmm. from what we've been able to kind of guess, theoretically.
2: So that relative weight of the batteries there really demonstrates what you've done with decreasing the drag, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, coming back to efficiency again, see, it's not that we're necessarily uh, the fastest car out there or that we have the most batteries or anything like that, but what you'll find is you'll, you'll really struggle to find any other vehicles anywhere on the planet that can, that can get the mileage per kilowatt hour of mm. power put into the vehicle.
2: And what's the lifetime of these batteries? How many cycles, are we, how many years are they good for?
0: Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember what's on the data sheets. Um, and from our experience, we obviously don't have a chance to drive it around enough to check, but uh, they are they are lithium-ion batteries, um, the same as you have in your battery pack and your phone, so, and so In your laptop and your phone. So effectively something in a similar kind of range. Th- thousands so of cycles at, um, then. um Yeah, yeah, something in that range.
2: Hmm.
1: If a solar car is damaged, is it a bigger job to repair than a standard panel beating service?
0: It depends on how you design it. So in the case of ours, we've put a lot of effort into really modulating our solar panels. So at the moment, you can actually take out individual solar panels uh, and clip a new one into it, you know, just kind of slot it in, which is definitely something we've done for that exact question. Obviously, if the car itself is deformed and you can't place the cell on, then you can't place the cell on, but that's a bigger problem than the cells. In general, we focused on some expensive cells that are much more durable. The ones we have are quite all right to wash by hand, just with some, um, you know, clean cloth. As well as they, you can stand on them, they're resistant to hail. uh, They also flex, which obviously helps with our error.
2: That's
1: very good. In the case of a collision... Do the solar panels crumple like a standard car?
0: Yes, they would most likely uh, snap a few times. Um, If you ever try and bend these panels in half, they'll eventually just get to a critical point and then snap. But again, if you ever have a collision at a speed where the chassis is bending enough to snap the panels, then the panels themselves are probably just going to be disintegrated.
1: And how does that relate to safety, occupant safety, in the event of a collision?
0: Um, of course. So none of the actual panels themselves are exposed to the driver, if that makes sense. They're all kind of sitting on the roof. So at no point during a crash would any kind of fragments of the solar panels be able to penetrate down into the car or any sharp edges like that.
2: Um, but in in this question of crumple zones and so on, I'm not familiar with the, um, the rules for building cars, but um, my understanding is that they've progressively been forced to put more safety into how the car behaves in a crash. Um, Has your chassis got some sort of traditional crumple zone? Is that part of the stuff that you're going through for approval at the moment?
0: Yeah, of course. So the rear of our vehicle and the front of our vehicle do have quite substantial crumple zones. Uh, They're designed in a crash to uh, obviously take the blunt of the force. The interesting thing about carbon fibre, and you can look this up on YouTube, is if carbon fibre has a high energy impact, it doesn't bend and deform like steel does it actually uh, just disintegrates you know into dust mm-hmm. uh, while it absorbs the impact the main focus we've had is on the side impact of the vehicle so we've built very flimsy doors with the uh, original construction of the car and now in an attempt to get it road legal we're reinforcing the side doors with aluminum frame
2: a fascinating item on your uh, sunswift website is the use of specialist tires for the solar powered car can you tell us more about that and, and are there other components that needed a special build for the solar race car and, and also the road legal solar race sports car?
0: When it comes to the tyres, uh, one of the things is that we have very thin width wheels. In fact, our wheels are only 95 millimetres wide. That's a say half, bit, bit over half of what a typical tyre width is, which means that it's very hard for us to come across tyres that actually suit our vehicle. But quite often we're buying tyres from um, Michelin or Bridgestone or other companies uh, that are quite special, and in some cases designed specifically for endurance solar car racing because we do compete in the occasional endurance race, such as the World Solar Challenge rates from Darwin to Adelaide. So usually we get tyres, I guess, that are a little more designed for endurance vehicles.
2: And are there other components that were specialised like that?
0: Yeah, there's, there's not probably not a huge amount else that you would find on a typical car that we've had to kind of retrofit or, or get an obscure example of. I mean, a lot of the car we recycle, for instance, are uh, the door hinges and latches uh, that are going to be on EVE have been picked up from salvage yards and second-hand vehicles because they're obviously already compliant items that you mm-hmm. know, meet the safety standards and we can, we can trust in their ability.
2: By the way, that EVE, um, you, you spell it E-V-E, capital V. Um, what's the, uh, I assume V is electric vehicle, the other E?
0: Uh, it's actually, so the team's actually historically the last uh, seven or eight years named vehicles after uh, a female name, but also the V actually stands for five because in the team's 20-year 20, 20 history, we've actually built, this is the fifth car that's been built by the team. So mm-hmm. The previous car was called Ivy, which was I-V-Y. <laughs>
1: okay. Okay.
0: Uh, Which is Roman numeral 4, so the next car will have a VI in it
2: somewhere.
1: Okay, thanks. I was wondering about occupant creature comforts, and I was wondering if the solar panels, when they're operating on the roof, does it force heat inside the vehicle, or is there some sort of air conditioning or insulation used to combat that?
0: Currently in the car there's no real air conditioning. Predominantly just because we want to kind of keep the weight of the car to a minimal because the large part of what we do is racing it. But the the solar panels do definitely heat up the car finitely. More than anything, the car's black exterior absorbs a lot of heat, which keeps the car quite hot. We've definitely been working with some mechanical engineers at the university, other students uh, who are looking at ways to better ventilate the car, so take air coming from the front of the vehicle and transmit it kind of throughout the roof and other areas of the car where the panels are to keep them cool.
1: You mentioned there the solar race from Darwin to Adelaide. I was just going to ask about any other applications, like perhaps a solar train. Would that be possible to do that, the route on the Garn?
0: We always get questions about uh, other solar applications. The, The one problem with solar panels currently is that they just frankly produce such a small amount of power Uh, The fact that we have four square meters of panels on our car and we still only produce about 800 watts of power, and these are some of the highest efficiency silicon cells, it can only really be feasible because of the low weight of the vehicle. So I obviously think that solar panels on anything such as trains are a great idea. The main problem we'll always come across is the simple fact that the trains will inevitably weigh a lot, and if it's even logistically possible to place enough solar panels on the train.
2: So as both a one-off and if it was mass-produced, what would you estimate the uh, regular retail price of it at Sunswith Eve?
0: Uh, We've actually got some people trying to figure that out currently. It's a question we've gotten off but we've never actually figured it out. Mm -hmm. Um, The main thing is that there are some huge initial offset costs such as the actual body of the car itself being carbon fibre. When we looked up what we'd expected to cost it to be about $150,000 to produce as a one-off. Mm. Uh, but obviously a huge part of that cost is producing the, the plug or the mold that the car's actually produced in. So obviously the price will come down significantly. Pretty much the two biggest costs uh, would always still be the solar panels and the batteries. Those solar panels on the roof of the vehicle at retail price would be somewhere in the realm of 10 dollars to $20,000 which is quite cheap for what you're getting, but inevitably still not exactly a consumer-based vehicle. Mm -hmm. And the cost of the batteries are always quite high. The batteries in our car cost somewhere in the realm of $12,000. And obviously it's the same problem with any electric vehicle. I mean, uh, Tesla's biggest problem at the moment is they just can't make batteries cheap enough, and that's what's keeping the prices up.
2: Mm. Does Sunswift plan to sell road-legal solar cars or just limiting them to uh, demonstration purposes only?
0: At the moment, pretty much everything's been limited to demonstration purposes, just because uh, at the end of the day, being a university group, we're not really set up legally or in any other regard to mass-produce something, but I definitely know there are a few Australian companies who are looking into electric vehicles of the sort and have always been kind of keen to touch base with some of our students who have got some experience in the area.
1: Over the course of the interview, you've mentioned the cost of making the car and also the lack of power output for the um, solar panels. Are there any other main obstacles for a solar car to become part of a regular car fleet?
0: The biggest problem at the at the end of the day with solar-based cars at the moment is that the, the additional power gathered from solar is very insignificant in terms of the power you would get from a uh, from basically just a large bulk of batteries. So pretty much as long as the cost of solar panels stay high and their efficiency stays low, it's probably going to be very difficult for us to ever see these cars on the road. Not because it's not feasible from a technical perspective, but mainly it's just not feasible from an economical perspective.
2: I um, haven't seen it yet, but I believe uh, um, last week or the week before the Catalyst, um was talking about a new Australian development with um, still at university stage of solar cells giving 40% rather than 20% efficiency by splitting the light and, and directing some of it through a prism to a, a separate um, layer of silicon or, I'm uh, sorry, I think arsenic um, to do the conversions. Um, in fact, it may even have been your uni, was it? Um, it do you know anything about that? And, and um, would that be significant in doubling the the efficiency of your area of solar cells?
0: Yeah, so at the – I can't quite remember where that was from. I definitely remember reading about it there. We've got a lot of people in the team that follow up on that quite regularly. It's definitely an improvement. Uh, I mean, the current cells we use are, again, I think second or third most efficient silicon cells, and they're at 22%. So any kind of gains in efficiency are definitely a uh, huge advantage. And even then, there's still a huge desire to keep the cost down. At the moment when the cost of a solar four square meters, three square meters of solar panels on the roof of your vehicle costs more than a budget vehicle, it, it's going to be quite difficult to convince uh, the public to deal with it. And the second, the third issue, sorry, that I didn't raise before, is uh, that all then needs to be compromised with the durability of the cells. Like, even though at the moment, you know, cells are waterproof, they can be touched without any real damage. At the end of the day, if... Uh, if someone comes along or someone puts something on top of the car and scratches the cells, their efficiency goes down. So there's still definitely a fragility around the cells, which uh, they're still trying to resolve and keep costs cost down.
2: Mm. Do you see one of the outcomes of your research being just the improvements, the dramatic improvements, by the sound of it, you've made in terms of efficiency and lower drag? So people um, translating that into traditional vehicles without the solar panels on?
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's actually a huge uh, ethos of the project. So one part is that it's, it's not necessarily about trying to convince uh, large manufacturing companies to, to work with solar panels, but more to get them to start thinking about the viability of alternatives, such as uh, high focus on aerodynamics, which, again, the Tesla Model S is taking quite seriously, a bigger focus on carbon fiber composites on the vehicles, Uh, Carbon fibre is obviously a fairly new product that's being used largely on airlines at the moment, but also in a lot of boutique uh, automotive cars at the moment. So it's definitely trying to be a symbol and an example more than a a feasibility study
2: sometimes. So Hayden, your world record attempt last year, can you tell us more about that and the, the sort of adventures and highlights of that please?
0: Yeah, so the thing that really inspired us to get the car on the road was definitely a lot of media attention and interest in the car from a world record we attempted last year. So in July last year, the team actually spent months preparing to uh, attempt what was called an FIA world record for the fastest electric vehicle over 500 kilometers. Mm -hmm. So this is a world record that pretty much just said, you know, who can be over a period of 500 kilometers, who can maintain the highest average speed the car that previously held the record um, set it, I think, in 1988. And they held a speed of about 73 kilometers an hour. So we went down to uh, the south coast of Victoria around this uh, small town called Anglesey on a test track they have down there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did a, four, a bit over a four-hour attempt, and we ended up breaking the record at 107 kilometers an hour, um, which was definitely a huge achievement for the team. And what it really tried to emphasize was about, again, coming back to energy efficiency and where the car stands out. Is There are a lot of electric vehicles out there, obviously, the extreme race cars that can travel at two, 300 kilometers an hour. Um, and there are also a couple of vans. I think there's one in Japan that holds the Guinness World Record for the longest range that can travel 14, 1,500 kilometers mm. quite slowly with a van packed full of batteries. But we were really looking to do something that struck a balance and a compromise somewhere, you know, something that people would actually find useful, which is 500 kilometres of travelling at what is effectively Australian freeway speed.
2: Mm. So up to now, we've had the hares and the tortoises, and and you're making the sensible in
1: between.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, because effectively, no one no one really wants to be a hare or a tortoise at the end of the day.
1: So Hayden. When you do get the certificate for a road legal solar sports car what are the team going to do with the Sunswift Eve?
0: So the first thing um, we want to do and this is still unconfirmed we have to sort out some deeper plans with it but we want to we want to christen the vehicle by uh, giving it a a good drive over the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Um, We hopefully want that to be its first drive obviously it's very exciting for everyone. It's also quite a great stage to do it on.
2: Yeah, the world stage.
0: Yeah, exactly. We'll get a lot of publicity if we do it and if we don't do it, hopefully we won't get that much publicity, (laughs) but uh, that'll be the first big step. Um, Then obviously we still have a lot of testing and evaluations to do with the vehicle to make sure it actually is safe for some um, plans down the track. But this July we also intend to complete about a two-week campaign around regional New South Wales to uh, visit a number of regional schools and promote uh, engineering to a bunch of uh, year 10, 11, 12 students. Obviously rocking up to regional schools where they're quite restricted on the resources they have access to with a with a solar vehicle, so hopefully going to inspire one or two of them.
2: Mm. Anything else planned? Uh,
0: besides that? Uh, The last thing is obviously just the uh, Darwin to Adelaide race we have every two years. So that's an international competition between teams such as Michigan, Stanford, uh, new on teams in Asia, teams in Europe, teams all across the world, to just race from Darwin to Adelaide over a six-day period. That happens in mid-October this year. Uh, Last time we entered the race, we came third overall. We only came to two teams. One was the University of Eindhoven in Holland, and the other one was the University of Bochum in Germany. So we're hopefully going to uh, keep our spirits high and do the best we can this year as well.
2: All right, so we'll look forward to October. So, just stepping back We are too. (laughs) (laughs) Just stepping back and looking into your crystal ball, is there anything else you see? uh, Roles of solar panels in future electric vehicles?
0: I I think what we're likely to see uh, more than anything, is that solar panels won't necessarily be uh, placed on a number of vehicles, but largely they'll be integrated into, into the homes better. One thing that we're going to start seeing, um, and not to plug them again, but Tesla's been doing some interesting work with, is a lot more battery storage for our homes, basically taking sections of our homes off-grid. So I think what we're largely likely to see a lot more of is electric vehicles that don't necessarily have solar integrated into them, but far more solar-driven homes. And what you'll find is that even though the electric vehicle will still be running off the battery, a lot of the battery power that they run off will inevitably be brought on from solar power that was generated at your home while it was charging overnight. Again, Tesla's done similar stuff with the supercharger network. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that, where across the United States they have a bunch of effectively free electric powered fuel stations, but all of the power that charges the electric cars are actually brought on from solar panels that are sitting on the roof of those charging stations. So I still think solar definitely has a huge part in the future of automotive, especially as we start moving everything towards electric. It's just really a question of whether we see it on the roofs of cars or the roofs of other assets such as charging stations in our own homes.
2: I totally agree with you about the home storage. I, I work w- with um, a small custom solar installer and, and we're specialising in the um, grid interactive backup and the amount of pent-up demand of people there just waiting for that uh, further drop in battery prices to be able to just uh, – well, many of it's just a psychological sticker to the electricity companies because they're trying to get them back. but. Um, that just that simple fact that you're exporting in the afternoon and then buying it back in the evening at four times the price or something, there is enormous pent-up demand for that. If listeners want further information about Sunswift, where should they search, Hayden?
0: Our best thing to do is just to type Sunswift into Google, obviously. Yep. Um, it's spelled out sound, Sunswift. Uh, we definitely have a website that has an extensive range of information. That's also email address, contact pages if you want to get in touch with us. Um, we also have everything else Twitter accounts, Instagram accounts, and Facebook accounts. And that'll all be um, on the pretty website. Happy if you type <laughs> into Google.
2: Yep. That's fantastic. Hayden. thank you so much for the um, informative update today and um, tell us about the Sunswift EV. Uh, good luck with creating Australia's first road legal solar sports car and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Neil.